Rachel Moser is a crew chief system engineer for Claire Global. Born and raised in Indianapolis, Rachel moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 2006 to attend Belmont University and pursue a career in audio. Since starting at Claire Global in 2010, Rachel would turn her part-time job checking cables into a now over 10-year career with Claire. Rachel would continue to work in the shop for a few years, specializing in building wireless and comm systems, before making the transition to the Claire Road staff in 2013. Rachel has continued to tour and work large-scale events, but still calls Nashville home. She has worked with teams from Chris Stapleton, Cheryl Crow, Eric Church, Blake Shelton, Cam, Keith Urban, Farm Aid Festival, and several CMT festivals. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome, Rachel. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are y'all doing? Doing awesome. Uh, so let's just dive in. How did you know as a small girl or a person from Indiana what uh, to, that you could be a sound person or passionate about sound? How did you fight, figure all that out? You know, I really, it kind of became really organic to me. I started out more in really like the video side of things. Um, when I was in school, it, really in elementary, I went to a like science and technology magnet school um, and they okay. had a really cool program in, um, they had like a Mac lab of computers. They had like um, morning announcements with like a, you know, daily kind of video team. That's that what I did of. when I was a kid. Yeah, it I was, was that nerd. <laughs> that's awesome. Like it was, it was so much fun. Like I, I loved it so much and being able to kind of be like in that technology side that I almost spent more time there than I did in my own classroom <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, kind fun. of fell in love with technology in that. Um, I also, you know, was really active in the band program, like throughout middle school and high school and I really enjoyed music, but I wasn't really keen on like the performance side. Like I was always very like introverted and like I liked performing, but I wasn't really like in love with it. I kind of liked the behind the scenes aspect. Um, I actually have um, some relatives, like an uncle of mine and um, a cousin who both are also in audio engineering. And so I always knew like they were, you know, like that's what they did, but wasn't really like knew that that was something that I could do as a career. Um, But like just through kind of through school, I learned that um, through like these classes that I could take kind of what I enjoyed in music and turn it into like a kind of, you know, a love in technology through like some of the classes that I took. And um, I kind of, I like telling the story because um it kind of was a turning point for where kind of deciding to go to Belmont and deciding to study audio because my my dad kind of, he was out, he was at like a CVS one day, just going to get some, you know, you know, running some errands and he ran into my middle school band director. It was like my, like end of my sophomore year, like that summer before. And they were just having a conversation, you know, just kind of catching up. He was asking how I was doing. And my dad was telling him kind of what I was into and, you know, that, I was really into like tech and still doing music and, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't really finding, you know, programs of, you know, what I was really into and in Indiana at the time. And, you know, my old band teacher told, told my dad, you should really check out Belmont university in Nashville. They have this awesome program. 
you know, I think that's somewhere that she would really be interested in. And so we went and checked it out. And really from there, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to study. And it really flourished from there because I realized that I can, I can study this. I can, you know, I can earn a degree and, and make this a career, which was something that up until that point, I didn't really think was possible. (laughs) Right. You know, I, Cause you don't really know, you know, it's like, it's yeah. not something that your, your, your guidance counselor is telling you is something you can do, you know, it's, sure. um, you know, doctor, lawyer, um, you know, any, <laughs> other, any long list of things. I'm like, these aren't things that I'm really interested in, but you know, yeah. I really knew I wanted to do something in technology and, you know, music was always a passion of mine, but I didn't want to be a performer. Um, So what was it like once you got to Belmont? Like, did it just seem like the world opened up for you? It really did. Um, You know, I started out going really for music business. I was going to get a business degree. I wanted to really do more of the production side of things at the time. You know, I wanted to run Mm -hmm. my own record label. I wanted to be a producer. I wanted to do it all because I didn't really know really anything about live sound at the time. And Mm -hmm. um, that part hadn't really opened up to me yet. Um, so I was really still trying to figure that part out. Um, but kind of being around like-minded people and, and at the time I did, I still felt really intimidated because I, I felt a little behind in the audio side because I'd focused so much on video and, and other aspects of technology that I still felt a little, you know, nervous about, you know, all the, you know, people that are there are like, have been doing this, you know, all through high school, you know, mixing sound for their, you know, friends, bands and clubs or, you know, whatever, (laughs) feeling kind of a little behind the, you know, behind the curve a little bit. But, um, you know, I was able to, I think, catch up pretty quickly, at least I I felt like I could and um, was able to kind of flourish (laughs) into my own. And, um, you know, I, it wasn't until really my sophomore year that I started to find what I was really truly passionate about in audio. And um, when all the studio classes were full up and really all that was left was a live sound class. And it was that intro, Mm -hmm. you know, to sound reinforcement. I'm like, well, I guess I'll take that. You know, sure. Why not? And, (laughs) you know, and I took it and this was like, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Nice. You know, I, I had three other business classes that I was, I was doing well in, but I just, I didn't enjoy them. And I went into my advisor's office who happened to be the Dean of the college. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to switch my major to audio engineering. I, this is more my speed. Um, you know, I think this, this is what I want to do. I want to focus on live sound. This is what I, I see myself doing. And he's like, Okay. And that's, that's, I took and ran with it. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Uh, So right out of college, did you start working for Claire right right then or? Yeah, I actually started working at Claire my last semester. Um, Very cool. Yeah. At Belmont, when I was there, um, they had a really great relationship um, with the Claire shop in Nashville. We had Mm -hmm. at Belmont, um, they have a showcase series which three times a semester um, they put on these um, concerts in their arena. And Claire was always the sound reinforcement provider for them. And they would uh, bring in 
a monitor tech and a system engineer, and we would hang a PA, we would set the deck, we would, um, we would mix, we would do everything. You know, the students would run the whole show under the guidance of uh, faculty and, you know, the professionals who would, you know, bring in audio, lights, video, the whole thing. I mean, it was, it was a full on show. It was just, you know, student performers and, and student, you know, stagehands and, and tech. Yeah. And, you know, Claire had a really great relationship, you know, building that kind of bond there. And, and that's how I really got to know about Claire and, and that, that was where I wanted to work. So I, I was able to, you know, kind of learn more about, you know, who they were as a company and um, through working with a lot of their road staff who would come, you know, mm-hmm. to Belmont through that. And um, they had started kind of a working partnership where they would allow a couple students during the semester to come and work like 10 hours a week. And, you know, you could check cables, you know, if you, they needed help somewhere else in the shop, you know, they'd pull yeah. you just kind of, you know, learn what it was like to work, you know, in a fully functioning warehouse for, for Claire. And, you know, that's where, you know, I got my start, you know, when I got out of school, I, I wanted to join the road staff right away. I mean, that was, that's, that's what everybody, (laughs) I feel like, well, you know, they, they want to go on the road, they want to tour, they want to do all that. And so, um, you know, I applied for the road staff training and, um, you know, they were doing interviews for um, a lot of the students at Belmont because there were so many of us that were applying. You know, they had, um, you know, they did the interviews there. And, yeah, I was I was so nervous. I mean, I, I still remember, like, I can picture it still. And I was just like, I was so nervous. And um, we'll never forget the day before graduation, I got the email saying that I did not get the job mm. on road staff. And it was, I mean, when you're, you know, 22 the day before graduation and you're one, yeah. you're one job that you're looking for, you know, you don't get, you're, you're devastated. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, this is, what, what am I going to do? Well, um, you know, two days after graduation, the shop manager in Nashville called and said, Hey, we know you didn't get road staff, but we've really loved having you in our shop. We have a position open if you'd like to work in the shop. And I went, when can I start? <laughs> and that's awesome. You know, took it from there because I knew there was still a foot in the door. It was still an opportunity yeah. to continue to learn. And that even though my opportunity to go on the road wasn't happening then, there was still gonna, a potential for an opportunity later down down the line. And that, that you got in 2013, right? Yeah. You know, that, so, yeah. Um, which, was, you know, it still, you know, even crazier to think that, you know, happened, you know, that, <laughs> you know, you, you know, even though things don't turn out the way you think that they're going to turn out. And then all of a sudden, you know, things out of the blue happen and you're just like, okay, you know, this is what I yeah. worked so hard for. And, and now, now you're here. <laughs> it's just. Do, so. you, do you look back at that now? Like the, the shop experience is probably an invaluable thing you didn't know you needed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. You know, looking back, I know I wasn't ready to go on the road. You know, I it, at that time, I think my life would be totally different, you know, and um yeah. I've learned so much 
from my time working in the shop, um, you know, being able to really learn, you know, I guess develop a lot of skills. Um, yeah. Learning all about, you know, how the drive systems work. And, you know, I learned so much more about wireless and intercom systems that I didn't necessarily develop those skills in college. You know, I was able to learn about all of that just by getting my hands on the gear and, and, and working in, yeah. you know, in the shop. And, and through that, you know, that led to, you know, other work down the road, which, you know, is, is invaluable. I mean, you know, that's like every, yeah. everything that has led from, from that moment, it's been, you know, a learning experience. And I know that's been, um, you know, critical through my career, you know, it's. What's uh one of the best live show experiences you've ever had? Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so many of them. You're going to remember the worst ones. I usually ask the worst and the best. So are we talking the best that I've like that we've worked or just experienced in general or experienced in general, just whatever your best day was on, on a tour day. Oh, my best on a tour. Day. You know, I have to say my, I think my best on a tour or just in general was, um, I guess it was now a year, a little over a year ago, I had the opportunity to work, um, Crossroads Guitar Festival, which nice. is, let me tell you, it was <laughs> one of the coolest things I have ever witnessed. I mean, first of all, it's Eric Clapton. So yeah, it was, yeah. It's, I mean, bucket list right there, you know, to begin with, sure. you know, I'd seen him in concert, you know, a few years prior, um, just as a, as a spectator, you know, before really working at Claire and it was just pretty you know, spectacular, but to, you know, to be, you know, working this show, which is, is a very, you know, very calculated, you know, down to the minute, you know, because it goes from mm -hmm. like three in the afternoon until almost midnight, you know, nonstop and for two days. So you're working <laughs> almost, you know, 48 hours straight, it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. But, you know, you get, get to the end of the show and, you know, they have this, this full, um, kind of encore where it's all the acts come up and perform. And it's basically a line of amps are set up and having <laughs> to make that work. And, you know, then I was kind of given that task of make this work and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I I can do that. <laughs> and, and probably some of the best guitar players in the world are yeah. on that stage. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's no big deal. It's just, yeah, you know, <laughs> you have the the great some of the greatest musicians in the world and you know it's, Yeah, and they know exactly how they want their tone and what it sounds like and where they're used to their amp being and what volume level and all of that stuff too. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely no stress. And of course, you know, it, <laughs> it's, you know, everything has to go rolling out. And then as it comes out, you realize everything is working and it's popping up as it should. And I'm just sitting there at the bottom of the ramp going, it's like, just, this is a huge sigh of relief. Like, okay, yeah. this is great. And then you realize, all right, now we have to load out. <laughs> it's that, like, <laughs> that, that moment of, of clarity and relief. And they're like, Okay, now we load out. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. On to the next thing. Right. Yeah. 
but it, that was, I think, probably just one of the, the best experiences that I've had. That's so, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Did you, uh, are you a country music fan? Because reading about your, your history and the, the artists you've worked with, mm-hmm. were, you, were you a fan or is it just the nature of where you are living? It's funny. Before I came to Nashville, I was not a country music fan really at all. I was not terribly familiar with a lot of country mm-hmm. music. Um, but since working in Nashville and, you know, working with a lot of these artists, you find yourself becoming, you know, a bit more of a fan and, mm-hmm. um, or at least appreciating, you know, the, the music a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the, the artists that I, I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, are, are really great. And, um, it's, it's a lot of fun just to be able to en- enjoy the music and, and appreciate it, for, you know, for what it is. And even if, if it's not necessarily my style, um, it's, it's fun to at least be able to enjoy it, you know, a little bit. And, yeah. it's um, such a huge genre that I didn't realize was that big because it's definitely not something that I listen to very ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a huge country music buff, but I love it. I absolutely love it. It's uh you work in one of my dream jobs, to oh. be honest with you. So <laughs> nice. it's a, uh, yeah, I just, I, I love that atmosphere. I go to a lot of country uh, music concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I don't, you know, get to run uh, throughout the year. I've always tried to go to those just because I love them, but I used to, I grew up on country music a lot. You know, my dad's a huge Willie Nelson fan, so I couldn't run from I've it. I've never far, seen but. you have like cowboy boots, though, Becky. That's I, I don't own cowboy <laughs> boots or a hat because the hat would squash the hair, and the uh, hair is the thing. The hair is important. <laughs> but I could I could hoe down with anybody. Don't I mean? I could get down, drink beer out of a can, you know, all those things. I, I got this. Country music festivals are some of the the most fun times, especially once you're done loading in and just going out into the crowd and witnessing some of the insanity that happens. I it's mean, crazy. I don't, love it. I I have to say, I my just as a side note, my favorite that I've ever done has to be. I don't know if either of you have done it. Is Jamboree in the Hills in Ohio? Oh my goodness! I have not, but I've heard about it. There, it's just so much fun because in the morning all of a sudden it's like you're right before you load in about seven in the morning, there's a, like they start playing like this loud metal music and they open the gates and all the people just come barging in with their tarps and their lawn chairs (laughs) to set up where they're going to sit for the day. And then they go back to where their campsite is so they can go party. And then they come back later for the show, but they just in the morning want to come out, set where they're going to sit. And then they go back, but it's just the funniest thing. It's in the middle of load, and you just hear the like the call, and they all come running in, and then they disappear. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I've done a few country festivals, and I will say that's the only festival I've ever done where, while when we were done loading out, there were still people in the the field partying. Oh yeah, like like country music people. Like even after you're gone, they're still gonna party. They still got it going on. They they 100%. just 
sat there through an entire like 12 hour festival. And now they've got their trucks all lined up with the same song on the radio and they're all screaming at the top of their lungs. And there's some, there's some crazy partiers and I love it. Yep. <laughs> I'm here for it. I had no idea. <laughs> That's hysterical. So what is a typical day for you on the road? Like when you're out there? Typical day, you know, it, I guess it depends on really, I mean, it depends on the tour. It depends on my job, but you know, I've, I've done a lot, a, a lot of my touring has done, been done in the monitor tech position. Um, okay. and sometimes, um, it might just be, you know, me as a, you know, audio tech of one, you know, where, you know, I'm kind of going out with just like a board package if we don't have a PA. Um, so, um, I'm there kind of just to set up the stage and, you know, assist mm-hmm. you know, the monitor mixer. Um, but, you know, if, in a, in a typical day with, um, you know, with a full PA and, um, board package, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty standard of, you know, walking in first thing in the morning and just kind of making sure that I know the lay of the land, you know, check in with, you know, production, you know, cause typically they'll have, um, you know, like a sold map. So you can see, you know, where we have to cover for the day, you know, especially if it's right. an arena, you know, that'll determine, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to cover for the day and, um, you know, see kind of, if it's a shed, you know, what, what we're looking at, um, you know, check for, you know, power situation, um, you know, just kind of go through my checklist of, of what we're going to do, um, you know, what mm-hmm. we, have, we have to look for in, in every building because, you know, it can get very monotonous, but there's always, you know, certain things that I always try to look for every day just to make sure that we know what, what we're up against, you know, and, um, you know, at that point, um, you know, kind of just verify what we're going to what we're going to hang, how we're going to hang the PA, um, you know, get, get together with, with the crew. So we all have the same game plan. Um, and then, you know, try to grab some breakfast before, before the truck start coming in. <laughs> um, you know, as we, as we load in, um, like usually, um, like on our, the last tours that we were on, that I was on, um, the audio gears, typically um, split up between three different trucks. You know, we're going to have our rigging and power on uh, on one of the first trucks. That way we can get feeder run out. Our motors can start going up. So that's usually the first thing that we're going to, we're going to take care of. And um, mm-hmm. then our PA will come in shortly after that. And we have a bit of time to start working on that before like consoles are going to come in. Um, Cause usually, usually consoles and stage will be one of the last things in the building uh, with the back line. Right. So um, you know, once everything's in, you know, it, you know, we, we typically would try to shoot for a two o'clock sound check. So we try to have everything up before noon um, so that we have some time to make sure that everything's good and um, that we can line check and get the system tuned um, on, um, on this last tour, you know, the, the front of house mixer, he um, is very hands-on and likes to do a lot of tuning um, okay. uh, himself. So um, what what I find myself doing and what the system engineer before me would do um, is um, 
verifying, you know, everything is, is working properly and then would work closely with him to make sure that everything is, you know, how he would like it. He would do a lot of the kind of the meat and potatoes of, mm-hmm. of the tuning. And then a lot of the smaller, um, you know, exterior kind of side hangs, front fills, things like that, he would allow us to take care of. So, um, once, you know, we'd sound check, um, take care of opening acts. A lot of times, you know, openers may or may not carry audio packages. So, mm-hmm. um, there's so are you mixing for them at that point? Do, do you mix or run monitors for the opening act? At that yeah. Point? It, you know, if, if we would have to provide, um, anything for them, a lot of times we would be mixing for them. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opening acts that, um, that I've mixed, um, mostly monitors for um it's funny the um the artist that i've been with for the last now five years actually my first interaction with them was mixing monitors for them as an opening act on a tour (laughs) so (laughs) um i definitely feel like it's one of the things that was taught to me very early on was the importance of kind of taking care of opening acts and making sure that, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is good with them because you never know when you're going to see them again. And um, I feel like it's a perfect example of, you know, that's, that's a great, that, yeah, that's a great thing to say. It is a perfect example. That's where you got your next job from. Right. So, you know, and, and being with them for so long, you know, starting out with them as kind of that, you know, one, one man audio crew, um, in, you know, taking care of the front of house mixer and the monitor mixer. And then once they moved into a, a full, you know, a full size arena package where we had, you know, PA and a full set, um, you know, still being with them after that and then in the monitor tech role and now moving up into a system engineer position with them, you know, kind of being with them this entire time, you know, all starting out because, I had the opportunity to work with them as an opening act. It's just, it's really, it's really cool kind of working with them from such a beginning part all the way to now. Um, you know, I feel like really. That's some good advice. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, you're fine. Um, yeah. It, it, it really, you know, cause I, I feel like a lot of times it can get lost and it can't, it, you know, you've, it can be frustrating when all you you feel like you want to do is, you know, take a nap in the middle of the day or, you know, it's, it's hot or you're tired and, you know, you're like, why, you know, doors are in, you know, 10 minutes and, you know, the openers are still going and it's like it, you know, it can be difficult, but you know, the, the thing is, you know, we're, we're there, you know, we're providing a service and it's, it's important. And um, we want to make sure that we're providing them, you know, with, with top quality yeah. work. So. Yeah. Quality on the front end and the back end, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. What it um, I that felt like a little bit of like what you were just saying in there, you know how how your life's gone really, like working from the shop to on the road, and then you know as a systems tech and with this band and moving it or uh rather uh monitor engineer and moving to a systems tech position and being in an arena tour now and mm-hmm. all these little things. Like I'm just listening as you're talking, you know, it's like you are taking the time to build your career um, and being patient in that process. Also, I'm sure that there's been frustrating moments for you and, and all of those things as well. But what would you say to 
um, our younger listeners that are just getting out of college or something. I know it's been a crazy year with the pandemic and all of those things, but um, what, what advice do you have for someone trying to break into the industry? I would say my, you know, my biggest advice is to not compare your path with anybody else's. Um, it's really easy to get ca- caught up in what other people are doing and or how far, how quickly they might advance in their career or, mm. you know, what tours somebody else has done. Um, you know, I'm just as guilty of it. You know, it's really easy. Sure. It's to easy see. to compare and yeah. then, you know, feel like inadequate or you're not doing enough. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it can be really difficult and really frustrating. And especially if you feel like, you know, you deserve to be farther along or, you know, that you've put in the time and you've put in the effort mm-hmm. and you feel like you've, you hit these roadblocks or stumbling blocks. It, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in that. And um, the only thing that you really can do is just trust that, you know, continuing to, to work hard, that, you know, that hard work does not go unnoticed and your that your journey and your path is the right path for you. And mm. it might not feel like it at the time, but when you, look back on it, you'll realize everything that you've been through has gotten you to where you are. That's some great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. We like to ask a couple questions uh, of everyone, Mm -hmm. the same question to everyone. One being, what is your go-to beverage? My go-to beverage is bubbly water. Nice. Bubbly yes. water is taking over the coffee. <laughs> I'm telling you. We need a bubbly water what's sponsor. Your, what's your favorite bubbly flavor? Oh, my. There is the um, the ginger peach, which is really hard to oh, find. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I don't know if they discontinued it. I think or... it was like a seasonal because I, I don't it, think I've seen that in a while. Yeah, it might have been a seasonal. So I really like the ginger peach, but. You know, I'll sometimes go to, um, what is it? The Blackberry is sometimes mm-hmm. like, usually I'll grab that one if, um, I haven't been able to find the ginger peach. So I, I like pineapple or strawberry are my favorite. Oh, nice. I did find that soda stream is now making a bubbly, like, oh. like the bubbly drop. So I'm like, I may just have to go get a soda stream so I can make <laughs> it on bubbly at home. Uh oh, uh oh, it's on now. I know it's a dangerous <laughs> game. <laughs> Rachel, do you have a roadie nickname? I do. One <laughs> you want to share? Uh, I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it really it doesn't go very far, but um, it's only in certain circles, I guess. Um, it's Ray Ray. Um, there's one nice. tour that refers to me as Ray Ray. Um, it's kind of <laughs> and cert- it's like it's kind of saved for the Eric Church tour, and then. Certain people in the uh, in the Claire shop refer to me as that. But it's always nice when I see the, all the Eric Church guys, and I always get the Ray Ray, and it just oh. warms my heart whenever I see him. So. That's awesome. Yeah, we always like to ask anybody who's uh, been touring if they had a roadie nickname because I like the stories behind them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I wish it was funny because you know I the story isn't like super great, but it, I mean. It, there, it kind of is. I had this nickname in high school, and I told our shop manager at Claire that you know this was my nickname, and um, 
you know, he was really good friends with the monitor mixer um, out on Eric. And he, so when I was scheduled to go out with them, he told um, RP is like, yeah, everyone calls her Ray Ray, even though the shop manager was the only one that really called me Ray Ray. And so it kind of spread like wildfire. But I think the, the best part was the, the stage manager, I guess, for some reason, thought my name was Katie for the first few weeks. So he called me KK. And I didn't realize it until like two weeks in. I was like, wait, wait, what, is, what do you call it? He's like, your name's Katie, right? Like, no, my name's Rachel. <laughs> he felt That's so awesome. bad. I just, I, but he got it after a while. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Um, what uh, are you just hanging in there, being pandemic home and waiting on tour to start and all that, or are you have you found other things to do? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of hanging in there, um, trying to hang in there as best as I can. I guess. Yes, yeah. um, you know, I. Um, started recently, um, actually taking a class online, um, in it just, you know, cool. as I find a lot of, a lot of what we do in audio is very rooted in yeah. it. Totally. And, um, I feel like that's, you know, also is very translatable to other things. And I was going to you know, say, it's getting more and more networky, uh, out there, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm like an AV, it network engineer now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just felt like it was it was the right time to, you know, expand kind of my knowledge outside of, you know, just kind of audio things and That's awesome. Um you know, and I've I've been able to um be a part of um kind of a really cool thing that that Claire's been doing through through the pandemic. They've kind of developed this really cool virtual live audience um yeah. platform um where i've been able to be kind of help with the moderating side of it on a few shows cool. um, here based in nashville and they've had a few shows outside of nashville that i've done remotely um so that's been a lot of fun you know it's cool um just to kind of get out and you know at least yeah. do something you know yeah. <laughs> so well hopefully with um, the vaccines and stuff we'll all be back to work sooner than later so <laughs> absolutely absolutely well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, hang out with us and answer all of yeah. our crazy questions. It was fun having you on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Hang in there. We're all oh, hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, too. Right. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Soundgirls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. Interviews will be available publicly in our Living History Project and for educational use and research. To get involved in the Living History Project or to find out more information, go to soundgirls.org. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Sound Girls podcast. We look forward to interviewing another amazing sound human next week and hanging out some more with all you Sound Girls. Have a wonderful week. Hi, everyone. This is Sam Hughes, host of the Sound Architect podcast, where I interview audio professionals around the world about their projects, their careers, and their advice. I've spoken to some of the most amazing sound designers on the top games, TV shows, and movies of our time. 
Our guests also include some of the biggest composers of our generation and some of the most amazing voice actors I've ever spoken to. Catch the Sound Architect podcast wherever you listen to your podcast or at our website, www.thesoundarchitect.co.uk. See you there.